Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And today's episode is a classic episode. It's a Friday, so it's time to look back at classics. This episode originally published on February 1st, 2013. It is called Tech Stuff Navigates Google Maps. And uh, yeah, I'd be lost without it, so it's good that we actually covered this. Lauren Vogelbaum and I dove into this topic, and I hope you enjoy this classic episode. It is the end of a long day here at HowStuffWorks headquarters. I don't know where I am anymore, which is good because we're talking about Google Maps, so hopefully I will be able to find some direction in my life by the end of this show. Because we live in the incredible future, so you have a cell phone in your pocket, right? Uh... Well, technically, my cell phone's at my desk, but normally, yes, I would, in fact, have it in my pocket. Okay, you have a hypothetical cell phone in your hypothetical pocket. Uh, and I'll roll with that. <laughs> therefore, you are connected to a network of systems that knows exactly where you are. Yeah, it's both uh, 
reassuring and yet terrifying. <laughs> Which I think should be the slogan for Google Maps. Overall. Right. I used to have that on my business card, Jonathan Strickland, reassuring and yet terrifying. Uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about Google Maps. Now, now, Lauren, I know in your research, uh, because we alluded to it earlier before we actually sat down at the microphones, you said you had sort of a uh, kind of a, a, a grand scale timeline of the Google Maps experience, which is not what I was looking up. So I would be fascinated to hear a little bit more about this. Of course, yes. And this is an extremely comp- complex timeline that I that I paged together from a single document that Google has up on its website. So don't, that- don't tell them how the sausage is made, Lauren. <laughs> we are brilliant. They don't know that. I, d- I actually want to go a little bit back before their timeline starts to 1995, which was when MapQuest launched. Oh, yeah. Now, see, I remember the MapQuest days. Uh, folks, uh, for those of you who have never used the web back in the mid-90s, mm-hmm. MapQuest was a revelation because it was this idea that, hey, there's this place I want to go, but I don't read maps very well. I don't like having to sit there and stare at intersections, and I don't I don't know. I don't understand how the folding works, right. or yes. I haven't purchased the right one for this area. I don't know which streets are one-way versus two-way, mm-hmm. and then I end up making a plan that ends up wrecking about a dozen cars, and I'm in a Michael Bay movie suddenly. <laughs> These are all bad things in my dr- personal experience. Uh, Michael Bay, if you want me in your next movie, call me. Anyway, uh, I can't explode. The, uh, but the important thing here was that you could actually plot out a, a, a pathway. Now, uh, back then, that was pre-mobile web for the most right. part. So you ended up having to physically print the document that would give you the turn-by-turn directions. And then take that with you in the car in the place of a more traditional map, which the company that created MapQuest actually began by making traditional maps and cool. and they still do i think right probably you could maybe. you could even have a, a a voice turn by turn if you had a passenger <laughs> read out hey you know that street we just passed we totally should have turned there they could do it in a robot voice if they if you really want them yeah, to almost every single person who's ridden with me eventually starts to talk like a robot that's interesting yeah and all right reassuring uh, and <laughs> Reassuring and terrifying. I'm not sure if that one's reassuring at all. Anyway, um, so so yeah, let's you know, MapQuest enjoyed a good several years on the web, pretty much unrivaled. Mm-hmm. And then then in um, 2004, Google, which at the time, do you know what Google was doing in 2004? 2004, Jesus, uh, <laughs> 19, 1998s when Google incorporates. Uh, I would have been discussing with Yahoo in 2000. No, I don't know what happened in 2004. Well, neither do I. So this is <laughs> this is terrific. That's awesome. So that was a question of 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 true. You really wanted to know. I did. Well, you know I what? had a curiosity. I bet Google was looking around. Well, okay. So at this time, Google had already started to figure out how to monetize search. Right. Okay. So I, this part I can talk about just off the top of my head. Google had cracked the code on monetizing search. And in fact, if you look at Google as a company, a lot of, of analysts will tell you Google really is an ad company, not a search company. Right. They, they serve up ads. They happen to do that primarily through search. Well, they also determined that searching, it goes beyond just searching for a term and getting a web page back. It also could mean finding ways to get to stuff. Now, Google did not necessarily have the people in-house to develop that sort of technology from the ground up. Right, and that is why they acquired two companies. They acquired Where2 and also Keyhole. Um, now, Where2 was a Sydney-based company 
uh, design, uh, run by two Danish brothers, I yeah. believe. And Lars and Jens. Yes. <laughs> I can never say that, so I'm glad that you did. Um, and uh, and uh, Keyhole was the company um, that had the software that would become Google Earth. Okay. All right. So, yeah, so you've got the, the foundations for uh, mapping software and, and Google Earth, which Google Earth is a is a wonderful tool and it's really super cool. We will not be talking a lot about Google Earth in this podcast because it really goes outside the realm of what we're chatting about. We might allude to it once or twice, but it's sort of its own thing as opposed to uh, you know it, it, it's like a separate product from Google Maps. Sure, um, bits of it have been integrated to Google Maps sure. to make it the rich experience that it is today. Right, but for the most part, it is a separate issue. Yeah, uh, but but uh, integral to to creating the Google Maps experience that that we know of today. Sure. So, so that was that was 2004. 2005, um, February, is when the um, the project of Google Maps was announced on the Google blog. Yep. And at that time, Google Maps was available only through two web browsers. Those web browsers were Bob's, who lived in... No, wait. No, I'm sorry. Web browsers, <laughs> not just two people. Uh, one was uh, Internet Explorer, which was, at the time, the... The dominant. Overwhelmingly dominant uh, browser. It's interesting to see like the whole rise and fall of the various browsers. Uh, and uh, the other one was not Netscape. Netscape was already uh, off the charts at that point. It was Mozilla, which we would eventually think of as Firefox, Firefox because Firefox was not, you know, you know, Firefox is not a Firefox is a direct descendant of Mozilla, but it's kind of a, a branch. It, it split off. Right. But anyway, at the time, those were the two browsers that supported Google Maps. Right. Um, also in 2005, in uh, June, Google Earth and uh, Google Maps API both launched. Right. API, that's an applications uh, program that allows developers to create stuff that works with whatever it is the product is. So uh, lots of different products have this, not just in Google. Application programming interface is technically what API stands for. So this is a, an interface that lets you build extra cool stuff that uses the technology developed by someone else. So Facebook, for example, has an API that allows people to build uh, the various games and other uh, apps that run within the context of Facebook. Mm -hmm. So the Google Maps API gave opportunities to other web pages to have this stuff integrated into their page. So you might see, you know, it, it, this was kind of a response to hackers. Who, right. Hackers were sitting there and they were kind of reverse engineering Google Maps to figure out how it worked and to try and give it new abilities based upon their own experience. And Google eventually said, you know what? Let's just go ahead and create an API to make this easier because there's some really cool stuff happening out there. Yeah, and also once you once you give people the capacity to use your product on their page, then you can add your advertising into it. Yeah. And yet again, they are an advertising company. Yeah, it so. turns out a lot more people use your stuff if you make it easier to use. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Absolutely insane. <laughs> um, and in October of 2005, uh, Maps for Mobile launched, and uh, and that was that was back early enough in in cell phone service industry that maybe not that many people were capable of using it. Yeah, 2005, you're talking about a time when, uh, uh, you know, smartphones, if you listen to our history of smartphones episodes, and if you haven't, it's okay, we'll wait. <laughs> but you, you know that that's pretty early on in the history of smartphones. I mean, until we hit 2007 when the iPhone comes out, smartphones did not really become a big thing in the uh, consumer market. I mean, we had 
prosumers and executives right. who... People in the business market, yeah. people who needed to be connected to their email all the time, uh, Crackberry, all that kind right, of stuff. Above our pay grade. You know, they, <laughs> they were taking advantage of this stuff. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that, uh, that Google got into that. Now, granted, it, it makes perfect sense, right? Because it's, again... One, why, why are you using these map programs in the first place? It's usually because you have to find your way to some other location. And so who it makes sense to do that most often? Possibly business travelers. Yeah, people who are going places. Yeah. It turns out that if you want to get from point A to point B, it's not always convenient to carry a desktop computer with you the whole way. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, okay, yeah. And uh, then, then 2006 was when um, some of Google Earth's satellite images started to be integrated into Maps. Very cool. Making everything shiny. Yeah. Um, and uh, then in July, live traffic on mobile launched. Also cool. Yeah, traffic is very cool. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit well, about how they do that. Later on. Yeah, it's neat. Yes. Um, and scary. <laughs> but mostly neat. It knows where you are, but but not you, just you. There we go. I, <laughs> I, I, you pretty much summed it up, but we will repeat it later in the show. Don't worry. With a little bit more clarity and fewer pronouns. There we go. Um, but, uh, uh, so, yeah, 2007 was when MyMaps launched. Okay. Uh, MyMaps being um, uh, the capacity for individual users to make customized, shareable maps without using that fancy API kind of stuff and needing to have an actual developer working in things. Oh, cool. So this would be an idea like uh, if you wanted to, to create a map that showed off, say, a, a, a particular hiking route or, or jogging route or something, and you could send it off to someone else saying, this is what I use because it's really well lit. It's right. in safe neighborhoods, that kind of stuff. Very useful. Yeah, yeah. If you're having a progressive dinner party and you want to show people the route from one house to the next, something like that. A progressive progressive dinner, dinner party. party. It sounds like a different thing than it is. I, I, I usually have, have regressive <laughs> dinner parties where I just I just recede further and further into the background. That's, you, everyone who's listening is like, that is so not true. He just gets more and more boisterous. He does. He it's does. Well, but um. In, I have I have no transitions for any of these. That's fine. In in May, um, three sixty Street View was a thing that oh, happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and and that was that was when that was when they put some cameras on top of some cars and sent them out into the world and took a whole bunch of pictures yep. of everything. Yep. Um, upsetting some people, which we will talk about again later on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but but giving you giving you the capacity to to. Visit a place that you have never been and get an idea of what it's like to walk around there. Very useful. I, I used this uh, when I took a trip to New York so I could figure out where I needed to go to catch the subway. Right. And so I was looking for visual cues because uh, I'm a southerner and I was lost in New York City. <laughs> And uh, uh, speaking speaking of which, uh, Google Transit was then integrated into Maps in October. Yes, very useful. So extremely useful, especially for people who do not drive. Yes, yeah, this this is the uh, product that lets you look up things like uh, public transportation schedules in various cities. And you know they they roll it out gradually. You know they have to incorporate the data from various cities to to get it back to you. But it it is really really nifty. I use it all the time here in Atlanta, where I, I'm going someplace where. You know, I don't regularly go there, and I want to know, okay, well, if I need to get there by a certain time, what time do I need to leave my house right. in order to, to make that happen? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very useful tool. Yeah. Uh, in April of 2008, then walking directions were added, uh, further furthering the <laughs> capacity. I'm saying capacity a lot this episode. That's okay. I, I often say the word pumpkin for no apparent reason. Pumpkin? So, yeah. In technology podcasts. I, I can't explain it. Excellent. Okay. 
Walking Directions, April of 2008. And then uh, Mapmaker in August, which let people start to write in with changes, um, corrections yeah. to Google Maps, yeah. which is one of the really big important things, we think, yeah, about yeah. the software. We'll definitely get into that, too. Yes. Um, October was uh, Maps for Android launched. Uh, something that I use frequently. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's one of it's one of the reasons why I don't think I could ever go back from having a smartphone is the map features. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I they are integral to my use. I do not remember what I did before I had that information on my phone. I, I certainly don't remember where I was. <laughs> I spent a lot of time printing out directions. Yes. Um, uh, October of 2009 is my next uh, plot point in this in this audio drama, and that was um, turn-by-turn navigation in Android. Another thing I use a lot. Which, yeah, back to that robot voice. You don't have to have a friend speaking in a robot voice anymore. No. Your your phone, you can be friendless, and your phone will do that for you. I, I actually count my phone as one of my closest friends, oh. because otherwise it, the list is really short. <laughs> 2010 biking directions added. Yeah. Yeah, that that is also pretty cool. Now, and again, this is one of those things that the crowdsourcing comes in handy. We'll talk about that again in right. a little bit. But yeah, yeah. Uh, by by August of 2010, uh, Google Maps Mobile had surpassed 100 million monthly users. That's a lot of people. That's a bunch. That's more than two. Yes. Um, and <laughs> by, by 99 million 999,998, as I recall. <laughs> and uh, making making Google Maps, in fact, so big. Um, and so popular that by November, there was this really interesting news item where there was an international dispute between Nicaragua and Costa Rica. Oh, yeah. I read about this. So from what I understand, you had the borders were established between Nicaragua and Costa Rica. And th- th- this is a border that's been a it was dispute. A, it was a disputed border. Right. Which Google Maps, by the way, will mark in red on international borders right. that are in dispute. But But it had been settled in one way. And uh, and then Nicaragua started to uh, dig uh, dig out part of the river that that separates the two countries. Right, like they were dredging the river, and technically they were dredging the river on the Costa Rica side of the border. And Costa and then, Rica took some exception. To right, this. Costa Rica was like, "Hey, dude, what are you doing?" Except by saying, "Hey, dude," they actually sent an armed group of people to stand at the border of the river and stare directly at the, the Nicaragua side. And then the, the over on, on the Nicaragua side, you had the government say, wait, 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 Google Maps says this is on our side. Uh, whereas uh, I think anyone would tell you that was probably a disingenuous move. That, yeah, yeah, that might have been that might have been a little bit of a passing the buck. Yes. But anyway, ultimately, but. it was it was resolved that they were, in fact, on the Costa Rica side and they withdrew. And uh, and then Google also uh, amended the map, but that's not the only time it's happened. There have been other cases where the, particularly around uh, water, bodies of water, because it's right. It's hard to see the dotted line underneath because <laughs> it's always underneath all that water. Yeah, I hate so it's that. really hard to tell where the border is. And Google sometimes will, uh, you know, in their maps they they have it laid out one way, and in "Quote unquote reality," which <laughs> that's your, mile- episode. <laughs> your mileage may vary. Uh, it's it's a different it's a different layout. So there have been cases like that. Yeah, right, right. But you know, just just the fact that it was big enough that that a government could sit there and say, "Well, 
Google Maps said this yeah. thing is impressive to me. I, you know, I. It's also scary. <laughs> <laughs> we can justify this war because Google said this. I mean, granted, there was no war here. I don't want to. I'm, I'm no, obviously no. exaggerating for effect, but. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, um, 2011, uh, Android uh, had indoor maps premiere, mm-hmm. um, which is the fun thing where if you get lost, for example, in a mall instead of in a neighborhood, um, you can uh, call up a map on your Android device yep. and have it tell you where to go. Um, and then in 2012, which uh, which we are just recently out of, uh, Google Plus Local premiered. Um, and towards the end of the year, uh, Apple and, and Google Maps had some exciting things happen uh, in that Apple totally kicked Google Maps out of the App Store. Yep, for, for, for the premiere of... About three months. For about three months, yeah. It wasn't until December that it came back. Yep. So, But we will also talk about that a little bit later on in the episode. Yeah. Well, and, and now I think I'm going to take a little bit of time here to talk about the nuts and bolts of Google Maps. Um this is a uh, this is the technical part of our episode, and I'm not going to get too deep into this because, uh, for one thing, it would be very difficult to really, really dive into it in an audio format. I kind of need visuals to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we can gesticulate all we want. Yeah, again, it's not really going to come through. It's very helping well. Lauren, but <laughs> uh, beyond that, unfortunately, it's lost. But uh, but a couple things I wanted to talk about before I really get into the nuts and bolts. First of all, uh, with the satellite imagery, uh, that's kind of interesting in that there have been cases. You know, we talked about the border dispute. There have also been cases where uh, Google has been asked by various entities to blur out some of their satellite imagery, which we should also point out, Google is partnering with other companies to get the data and the images. It's not that Google has satellites encircling the Earth constantly (laughs) taking photos. Uh, So the satellite imagery is is acquired through other other, uh, partners. But there have been times where Google has blurred stuff out. In some cases, it no longer does blur out a few of those places, right. like the White House, that kind of thing. Right, right. But it used to be... But some government facilities, mm-hmm. um, some... It's like, yeah, like, like, like military bases would be a big one. Right, right. right. And, and uh, so there have been times where Google has blurred that stuff out a little bit to make it uh, less likely that someone might use Google Maps in a military strike against a target, that kind of thing. Uh, also, uh, if you ever wanted to know what Area 51 looks like, you can actually see that. On Google Maps, you can. Yep, you can Finally? see it satellite. Oh yeah, no, it's it's mm-hmm. it's there. Now, granted, you know, we should also point out that Area 51 hasn't really been an active secret base for a while. <laughs> they moved that. Oh, uh, we, we would have to talk to the conspiracy stuff guys. To... I'm pretty sure they're in Colorado now, actually, and uh-huh. that's not a joke. I, I think they're really. I think the new base where a lot of the uh, the secret Air Force stuff, where they're doing test flights of of secret aircraft, is out of Colorado and not. Uh, Area 51 anymore. No, oh, cool. Um, that's just off the top of my head. But anyway, it is on there if you want to take a look at it. Uh, but getting into the, the nuts and bolts, it, it all starts with a project at Google that they call Ground Truth. Now, if you think about all the Google Maps you've seen and the various ways that you can customize it, where you can put push pins in, you can put different routes in, and you can view it in a million different ways, Ground Truth is kind of... The, the focal point of all that. Think of it as like the proto-map. Mm-hmm. It has all this data. And we're talking terabytes of data here that are going into making the maps what they are. That kind of terrifying amount of data that we can't even really deal with on yeah. a mental level. Because think about the stuff that's involved in a Google map. You've got the actual 
graphical representation of the map. So you've got, you know, streets, you've got, you might have, you know, outlines of buildings, right. you have uh, uh, the names of landmarks, that kind of stuff. Uh, on top of that, all of those those uh, pieces of information are linked to um, coordinates. Right. The geophysical coordinates. Right, exactly. So latitude and longitude, you know, that the, those are all identified so that when you look at a map, you're looking at it the correct, you know, way. It's not just a bunch of random places. <laughs> hey, Mount Rushmore is right next to the Grand Canyon, which is right next to Disney World. And, uh, I mean, that's not it's true. It's a little bit more precise than it used to be, yes. is, is, is all we're saying. We have, we have precisely to scale. Right. And then on top of that, you have things like uh, business names included in this information. It's it's lots of info all together, and it's all there because you need to be able to look at the map in one of a billion different ways. So all this data is there, and then Google's algorithms are what have to make sense of the information and display the information that's relevant to you right. in the context that you are using the, the maps in. Right, right. Uh, to when you the, when you go in and say, "Hey, I want traffic. Hey, I want satellite. Hey, exactly. I want." Hey, I want to know how to get from point A to point B. Versus, hey, I want to know how many different pizza places are around point B. Right. Versus, I want to know where the top-rated restaurant in San Francisco is. I mean, these are all different contexts you can use Google Maps in, and so it has to be able to be very flexible. Now, it, when you're actually looking at Google Maps, uh, what you're looking at is uh, it has a top side, a top bar, and a sidebar, and those are just basic HTML. Right. So it's just like uh, which is a hypertext markup language. It's the stuff that the web is made of mm -hmm. and dreams, as it turns out. <laughs> uh, that part's a lie. Um, and then the rest of it, it all well. Originally, it was all XML, which is extensible markup language. Now, extensible markup language is a way of telling a client, meaning a web browser in this case, right. how to display the information. So it's a set of instructions that says, here's all this data, and here's how you show the data to the person looking at it. Uh -huh. Okay? So it's just a set of instructions, really, is what it, what it boils down to. Mm -hmm. These days, didn't they switch to a, to a JavaScript object yes, notation? Yes, they've got JavaScript. Yeah, it's all JavaScript, and it's all um, – it's it, it, JavaScript is, is what they program everything in. I mean, it's essentially – uh, back when it first started, this was a C++ program. That was back when uh, the the Dutch brothers were working on it, and now it's uh, now it's all JavaScript stuff. But yeah, it's um, it, you know it was really heavily using XML and uh, and something called uh, XSTL, which is Extensible Style Sheet Language. You would apply that to the XML to get HTML. All of that is just very technical, and it also ultimately doesn't really matter because uh, they kind of switch to something called Maps GL, which is a variant of the Web Graphics Library. That's the JavaScript you're talking about. So okay. It's part of a JavaScript application programming interface, and it renders interactive graphics, which is what Google Maps are. Yes. It's an interactive graphic that you can play with. It's actually really kind of cool the way that works. Um, I, I have to give a lot of credit... Uh, uh, to Joel Weber. Now, Joel Weber is uh, is a former graduate of Georgia Tech, but I don't hold that against him. Go Bulldogs! Uh, <laughs> I'm a Gator. Oh, 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 well then, Joel and I both hate you. Excellent. Um, you learn things every day. 
right? Uh, so, I mean, granted, I never once went to a football game. So. I, I was not on the football team. So Where you weren't? I, you don't have to hate me that much. Yeah, I mean, but. She moves like a running back is all I'm saying. Um, anyway, I don't even know what that means. Just, I, 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 I think running back is in baseball. So, anyway. The, the oblong uh, spheroid? Okay, like sorry. I got off track. Back to... But no, no. Uh, Joel Weber had... He, he took a lot of initiative early, early on in Google Maps. He thought it was a very interesting product, and then he began to reverse engineer it and kind of learn the way it worked. So uh-huh. it wasn't until fairly recently that Google started talking about what makes Google Maps tick. In fact, I would say, I think it was like 2012 when they started letting journalists come in, and they were essentially giving uh, kind of a symposium oh, wow. on an overview of how it works. But before that, it took people... Who who were actually smart enough it. to yeah. dig into it. And exactly. And Joel Weber was one of those guys. And he still has quite a bit of information up on the web that explains what he did and, and sort of what he learned. And um, among those things, he learned that the the center pane, that the actual map that you're looking at, is made up of a grid of tiles. Mm-hmm. And that grid is 128 wide and 128 tall. Okay. Not all of those tiles are in view uh, of the map, so so it, think of think of the map as kind of cutting off. It's it's the center of this tiled puzzle, and the the border around it. There are tiles that are outside of your your vision. Okay, okay? sure. And you know you can drag and 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 move the map around. You know mm-hmm. you hold down the the mouse button and you pull the mouse across, and then the map moves. I believe the Google term for this, by the way, is slippy map. Yes, which I love. Map. Yes, <laughs> and it turns out the slippy map. It, the reason it works is that. Every single image you're looking at is absolutely positioned. And when you scroll, it is essentially picking up the tiles that are off screen on one side and placing them down on the other side. If you want to think of like a different way of, of imagining this, Joel had a great example. He says, imagine that you're on a train, mm-hmm. and the way that you continue moving forward is that you pick up the track you've just crossed over and you put it down in front of you so you can keep going. So as you're moving, you're you're removing the track behind you and putting it in front of you, and that way you just you don't have to end up generating the entire map, which would be a a huge uh, drain on resources. It's clipping it down to just the integral important. Exactly the stuff that you need. It it can cache stuff that happens to be around, and and again, you've got you've got stuff that's two or three or four or fifty tiles off the border, right? So Mm -hmm. as you're pulling, you're first seeing stuff that's already loaded up. It just wasn't in your view, right? right? And then the the tiles that are essentially moving to the other side are starting to pull the data necessary in case you keep going that way. So it gives you this sort of infinite scroll ability, which is pretty cool. Right, right. And also, it's it's very much a client-side application. And what we mean by that is that while it's pulling data from servers, from Google servers, which right. has, you know, have all this information, the most of the work is being done within the client. So on your computer, within the web browser, on your smartphone, whatever. That's what's doing most of the work. And the good thing about that is it means that it frees up the servers on Google's side because lots of people are using this. Just a few. Right. And, and we talked about more how much... More than two. Yeah, more than two. <laughs> Uh, and we talked about how many different ways you can use it. So with that in mind, with all the different ways you can use it, all the data that Google's holding and the number of people, it's important that we that Google had designed it, and I say we, that Google had designed <laughs> the system in such a way that it doesn't bog down the server side or else 
every time we would try to use Google Maps, it would take forever. Right, right. And because a lot of that work is being done by our devices, it means that you know if there's something slow, it's your computer's fault. <laughs> That's not exactly true because, I mean, there could be other issues, obviously. But in general, it means that the system works more smoothly than it would if it was all server-side applications. So, I mean, like I said, I could get further into the, the actual nuts and bolts of what Google Maps is doing and how it's doing it. But ultimately, I think it would be uh, more confusing than helpful. <laughs> and also, we're getting to a point now where I've got to be completely upfront and honest with you guys. Like, all of this, I've got a pretty good handle on. But when I start going further in, it's going into a level of development and programming that, that's beyond my own personal experience. So at that point, I'd just be like, well, according to this, this <laughs> word that I don't know affects this other word I don't know. And I'd rather just spare everybody that. Yes. Thank so, you. <laughs> you're welcome. Hey guys, it's Jonathan from 2019, and I am so lost. While I get my bearings, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. 
There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And now back to the show. All right. So one of the many topics that we said that we were going to come back to was Google Street View. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we wanted to come back to this is that it has been a little bit contentious because it's this fabulous technology that, like we said, lets you visit a place that you've never been to, lets you walk around an area that you are perhaps going to visit or are just curious about without having to get on a plane and get out in the wet and the rain and the cold. You know, it, it lets you do more once you get to a location. Sure, yeah. However... Unless you do more when you get to a location by virtue of the fact that it's taken detailed pictures of that location, including, for example, the cars and people and children and dogs that were walking by when the photography was taken. Mm -hmm. And some people had a problem with this. Some people said, hey, maybe maybe my baby should not be on Google Street View. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't have that picture of uh, me coming out of the adult entertainment establishment <laughs> Uh, in downtown Atlanta so that now whenever anyone looks at said adult entertainment establishment on Google Street View, they see They me. see you. Yeah. That, by the way, is a generic me, not me me. It's the royal me. Yeah. Not. I guess. I guess. That's okay. not how that works. <laughs> but, but no, that's exactly that's exactly right. There, there were several communities not, and also individuals that objected to Google Street View saying that uh, it violated privacy, mm -hmm. that they felt it was kind of creepy. There were people who uh, who said that this is going to turn into a tool for uh, thieves to use. Sure. Where they, they, can, they can virtually case a house without ever having to actually go into the neighborhood. Oh, sure, sure. Or the kind of higher paranoia of this is going to turn into a government tool for those countries uh, that do not have CCTV right. already. Sure, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Or, or that... Uh, you know, maybe the day that Google Street View went through my neighborhood was uh, after I had uh, not not taken care of my lawn yet, and so now the six house, months later, when you try to sell your house, exactly, and people, people go say, online hey. like, mm, "That's a dump." Yeah, it may very well be any of those things. Now, the flip side of that is that there were people who had fun with Google Street View. <laughs> they would see that the Google Street View, they would either know that the car was scheduled to go down the street at a certain time or they would see it and they would stage various humorous things to happen so that it would be captured by the Google Street View car as it went by. Uh, we've talked about some of these in previous episodes of Tech Stuff where there were people who would uh, create a virtual parade on on a street That's and delightful. so yeah it's fantastic if you look at google street view and you look at you know art projects or parade that kind of stuff you, it'll pull these these images up and you can actually see how creative people were I've, i saw one where it was a uh, a group of larpers all in uh full foam gear wailing oh on each other That's so wonderful you're going through a suburban neighborhood and like there's a, and a all out melee happening <laughs> um i mean if it were me I know what I would want to do. Like anytime I knew that there was going to be a Google Street View car going through New York, I would be like, "Okay, guys, it's Warriors cosplay time. Who wants to be the Baseball Furies? Who wants to be the Hi Hats? We are gonna go out there and bangers. We are gonna make some noise. Can you dig it? I th That's probably the whitest. Can you dig it? That ever. I, I think it probably was. That's okay. I'm, History I'm right is being made right here. Come out and play! Yay. Oh dear. That's a documentary for you folks out there, the Warriors. Late 70s. Look Fantastic. it up. Important, yeah. important information. Yes. 
But yeah, uh, so so it's gone, you know, both with the privacy issues and as well as like people, you know, taking advantage of it to have some fun. I think I think for the most part, Google enjoys the whole let's have fun with it thing as long as it's within the realms of you know safety and good taste. But right. the um, but as the privacy thing's been a lot more complicated. I mean, you've had entire communities say we don't want this. Yeah, no, thank you. We're a gated community. You do not get to, this is private property. You don't get to come in through here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Google's whole motto is that they want to uh, index the information of the universe, and part of that is all of the places you can go <laughs> on the planet Earth. So there is there has been this problem. Now, the other thing about Street View is that it's actually been very helpful with Google Maps in making them more accurate. You know, we talked about earlier, if you were just looking at a map, a physical map, a paper map in your hands – you might not be able to find the best route from where you are to where you're going because you might not be able to see which which roads uh, are no longer uh, open or which ones are one-way streets. What's under construction. Exactly. What's- so one of the things that Google Street View would do is that the routes that these cars would take would help validate which routes are open to vehicles. Right. So if a if a Google Street View car could not go up a street, it's because it might be a one-way street or whatever, then that information was part of the information that be saved and would be integrated into that proto map I was talking about. Right. And you know, really when you think about it, when you're getting directions from point A to point B, it's pretty complex. It it has to take into account all of those things and say, all right, this may not seem like it's the fastest route, but it's, it is because, because of all these of other factors. all of these factors. Yeah, it's really complex. Mm-hmm. But uh, Google Street View helped that out. So the Google Street View provided two different kinds of information. It provided the, the images, which right. that was the, the obvious one. Top level, yes. But also the route information by the actual route the cars had to go through in order to capture all those images. So that's uh, it was sort of a validation method that Google used as well. On top of that, we had the whole idea of this crowdsourcing, uh, which we had talked about a little bit earlier. But crowdsourcing, uh, Google uses crowdsourcing in two ways, uh, or at least two ways. One of for them, Google Maps. For yes. Google Maps, thank you. <laughs> Google uses crowdsourcing in lots of ways, but Google, Google Maps in particular, two two main ways. One of them is traffic. Yes. And uh, generally speaking, they're tracking. Um, People who happen to be using uh, cell phones, particularly cell phones using Google Maps, and tracking their progress either through uh, uh, you know little anonymous GPS tracking or anonymous uh, cell phone tracking, you know, as you move from from one, one cellular tower, tower to, to the another. next. Sure. And the idea is that hey, you know, if if this same user is able to make their way through this this particular street at this particular speed, that gives me an idea of how. How fast traffic is going, right. and whether or not yes, what color code we need to rig that up as? Yeah, exactly. Like if they're if they're crawling, they're either not in the car, <laughs> or traffic is bad, and <laughs> and this is aggregated, so it's not just a single person. We're talking thousands upon thousands of people, and the important thing to remember is that, I mean, assuming that we're we're all on the up and up here, it yes. is anonymous data. Right. So Google doesn't know it's a particular person. Right. It knows that it's your phone, but it doesn't know that you are Jane Smith and that you are going from your home to your office to PetSmart to... Right. All it knows is that this particular phone is moving at this particular speed in this particular place. Right. So uh, beyond that, it doesn't know that that phone belongs to Jane or that Jane is on her way to commit a hit for the mob. (laughs) 
Right. It does not. It does not record the starting and stopping points. Right. Which is another thing that people were worried about with directions. Right. Right. Of like course. If if I put in, I need to know how to get to this point. Is it going to be saved somewhere so that? Google knows that I went from here to there. I mean, obviously, depending upon what you're doing, that could be very sensitive information. Very undesirable, sure. Like job hunting. Yeah. Like, let's say that you know my boss is like, hey, you know, um, this weird thing popped up. <laughs> Turns <laughs> out it looks like you've been going to every single one of our rivals recently, and a lot of our uh, rivals are coming out with really similar products to ours. <laughs> that would be... I mean, clearly, you know, that's unethical behavior on the part of the user, but right. that's just an example. Sure. But, you yeah, know, for example, um, yeah, the, the, the other way that the traffic data is garnered is via um, microwaves. Oh, wow. So, yeah. like, when people are making popcorn? Yes. Wow. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's but that's another episode. That is, in fact, an episode that Jonathan and Chris did previously. Oh, yeah, so. that's right. I was like, this sounds really familiar, but I didn't research this. We've already done this bit, haven't oh. we? Aww. 470-something episodes. It's kind of hard to keep track. He has no idea anymore. No, I, I don't even know where I am. That's why I need this podcast. Also, age is getting to him. <laughs> Thank you. There has to be one in every episode, doesn't there? There really does. Okay, that's fair. Anyway. Uh, so that was one form of crowdsourcing. The other one is, you were talking about the, the, the map maker, where uh, this idea about... In your personal experience using Google Maps, you might encounter a situation where the map is not accurate. And it's allowing people um, to be helpful. It's yeah. allowing you to inform the map experience yeah, that they've like, created. Yo, dude, you totally t- turned me down the wrong side of the street. Or uh, the road you wanted me to take is a private road, and I cannot actually drive on it. Uh, I encountered that actually yesterday. Yeah. But it was because uh, Google Maps can't counter user stupidity. <laughs> and, and in my case, it was that I wasn't really thinking. I was I was going to a specific location. I don't even mind saying where it was. I was going to the Atlanta Botanical Garden so I could see some pretty lights. Well, that's a classy place to go, Jonathan. It Thank is. You. I felt totally out of place. My <laughs> wife, however, completely at home. So uh, trying to get to the Atlanta Botanical Gardens. But here's the thing. Atlanta Botanical Gardens has a uh, – there's a parking structure that's adjacent to Atlanta Botanical Gardens, but it's run by a different company. Right. Right? So when I put Atlanta Botanical Gardens into the Google Maps program, it's telling me how to get to the gardens themselves, uh-huh. which are off of little private roads that I cannot actually can't access. access. If I had put in the parking garage from the very beginning, then it would have sent me the correct way to get to there. To actually enter yeah, the gardens. I did not do that. So in that case, I actually did encounter a problem. Now, granted – you know, I just realized that I was on the other side of an enormous park, and I just had to go around, around, and then I got there. So it wasn't a big deal. Right. But in other situations, that could be a very big deal. Sure. Yeah. So MapMaker lets you correct those sort of problems and send an inf- send information to Google and say, "Hey guys, uh, just FYI, right? Fix this." Yes, and we're pretty sure that that's not based on a single user's experience yeah. because that would be very dangerous. And yeah, you could easily troll the system. Yeah. You know, you I can here's here's how I would use it. If, if that were the case. Uh-huh. Everywhere I would go, I would say that the closest, fastest route was not working, so that way I could guarantee there'd never be any traffic. <laughs> because people would be routed around it. That would be insidious. That's that's how I think, Lauren. <laughs> this is this is the way I think. I think how can I manipulate the system to benefit me? That's terrifically evil. Thank thank goodness Google is slightly less evil than yeah. you and has, has accounted for for such things. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> that's that's the thing. You you they, they they really do anticipate people gaming the system and so they're one step ahead of me. Google! 
<laughs> right. So anyway, the, both of those methods are really important for Google Maps. Uh, you know, just to just to give the best user experience possible. Because even though you know Google's in the business of selling ads, essentially, uh, or selling ad space, mm-hmm. you know they have to make products that are are user are friendly, yeah. and it's part of what makes the product yours. It's part of part of what makes it interactive, and it adds into that entire Slippy Map concept of of being able to to go in there and mess around with it yeah. and really dig your fingers in. Right. And and of course also you can um, uh, add in your business's information into a map. You can uh, yeah. edit. Business in, businesses information you can provide reviews of a business yeah yeah it's 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 literally mapping to other parts of the internet so it's not just showing you the physical uh, location of a place that you're searching for it's giving you access to other uh, resources that gives you more information about the place you're looking for. It's kind of this whole idea of marrying the physical world and the digital world so that the two are integrated so tightly that we have access to pretty much any kind of info you want at any time you want, any place you want, which has its benefits and its drawbacks. Uh, but I wanted to also kind of touch back. We, we talked about this briefly, but I wanted to talk a little bit about what happened with Apple. Right, right. So Apple comes out with the iPhone 5 as well as the release of the sixth generation of iOS. Right. The operating system for the iPhone and iPad and iPod Touch. And for that, it had developed its own map system, Apple Maps. Apple Maps. And uh, people began to notice that Google Maps was no longer available within the uh, Apple uh, App Store which I was struggling to name earlier today, and then I forgot, oh, wait, yes, they are the one that's called the the App App Store. Store, Uh, But yes, Google Maps, uh, Google and Apple had had sort of a a weird relationship, a love-hate relationship. There was a time when uh, Eric Schmidt, who was uh, at at that time the CEO of Google, Mm -hmm. uh, he was also sitting on the board of directors of Apple. Oh, wow. And Uh then eventually he resigned his position as a member of the board of directors, uh, and he cited that it was because he felt there was going to be an increasing conflict of interests between the two companies. Sure. And, um, And, in fact, there were several reports that Steve Jobs was more than a little put out when Android hit the market because he said that he felt um, that Android was copying Apple. Whether or not you think that makes him somewhat hypocritical with his uh, (laughs) citing of Picasso saying that good artists borrow great artists steal, um, that's beside the point. Anyway, (laughs) the, the die had been cast. There was this contentious relationship between Apple and Google. And then Apple released its Apple Maps app that that introduced turn-by-turn navigation, which was a huge deal. That was something that Apple users had been asking for on the iPhone for And had not years. gotten, have still not gotten. Yeah. Have, well, no, no, because no. Apple, okay. Apple Maps does have it, Well, but, but Apple not. Maps was buggy. Yes. That was the problem. But that was the thing, was that they were asking for it for ages, Um like and and once Google Maps came out for Android and, and once it incorporated navigation, uh, I I had a lot of friends who had iPhones who were very much irritated by this because they said, well, you know, Apple leads the way in the smartphone experience. They defined mm-hmm. the smartphone experience for the consumer in the United States at least, and sure. several other parts of the world as well. Why are they trailing behind Google? And part of the reason was that you know uh, Google didn't really want to work with Apple so much, and Apple didn't really want to work with Google so much. So there was enough tension there that uh, that 
they was, were they were increasingly becoming competitors in the market, and yeah. Google was like, I don't want to give you my toys. Right. I think I'm going to keep those toys. Thanks. Right. And that way, it differentiates my toys from your toys, and right. that way, people will buy my toys and not your toys. And uh, and Apple was like, well, fine, we're going to make our own stuff. Mm-hmm. And when, which is a perfectly valid response. Oh, of course, you know, absolutely. I'm making it sound like they were being <laughs> petulant children. Yeah, that's not that's not the case. It's it made perfect business sense. What what maybe be didn't make as much sense was that they released the Maps app for iPhone uh, possibly too early. Yes. There were a lot of people who felt that the application was not as polished as it needed to be, and then it did, in fact, have lots of bugs in it. Now, Apple got its map data from primarily from TomTom, which has great data. Which is pretty okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they do. They do all right. Yeah, they've, <laughs> they've, they've got, they know their stuff. And you know, and we mentioned earlier, Google gets their map data from like 1,300 sources and then has to merge it all together. And Apple got it from more than just TomTom, but TomTom was the primary uh, source of the the map data for Apple. So something was going on between the data that they were receiving and the implementation of the application itself that made it less accurate. There's something wiggy in that algorithm that we were talking about earlier that actually pulls the, the important information out and right. presents it to you. Yeah, so you, you might not notice that there is a river in the way of your route because <laughs> uh, Apple failed to pay attention to that. Or there was the, uh, a pretty well-reported uh, incident where the government of Australia said, don't use uh, Apple oh, Maps wow. because uh, uh, it's it's taking this one route that should go a fairly simple way and putting people through a oh, I massive that. yeah it was a desert yeah it was essentially it was essentially routing people through a huge desert that was a part of a, a, an enormous park in Australia mm-hmm. and the fear was that people would be using the the application to try and go someplace they would get rerouted through the desert lose uh, lose signal. Lose signal and not have enough gas to get out. To get out, And then they're yeah. stuck in the desert. And then accidental walkabouts are not really. Yeah, and, and in Australia at the time of the story, it was just starting to get into summer. You know, here it's here it's winter. Right. Because uh, we live on the upright side of the world and they live on the upside down side of the world. <laughs> yes. I love you, Australians. <laughs> also, Kiwis, I love you too. Aw. Hey, it's Jonathan from 2019 again. I totally know where I am. I just don't know where I'm going anymore. So um, I'm going to take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. 
and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought 
in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So th- this was a this was a big issue, and, and so it was a double whammy, right? Because they they kicked Google out of the store. Right. The Apple app was not fully baked. In fact, famously, the guy who was in charge of the whole iOS thing was uh, asked to leave Apple. Yes. Became a consultant, and then was kind of pushed out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it was a huge hubbub. Um, I, I I had so much of that hubbub coming through coming through my internet perceptors that I just did not even update my phone. I I, I use an iPhone. Yeah. And I did not upgrade. I didn't want to mess with Apple Maps. I chose to ignore the entire situation. Yep. And and a lot of people did that. And about uh, three months later, so uh, it was late December of 2012, mid to late December, might have been mid December, when uh, Google Maps reappeared in the uh, app store complete with turn by turn navigation mm-hmm. and uh, and Google took the opportunity to kind of twist the knife a little bit and talk about how great their map data was <laughs> keeping in mind again the apple data wasn't necessarily what was wrong it was right. something else between the data and the implementation but at any rate Google definitely took a little bit of time to kind of Say, look how awesome we are. Yeah. Well, they, um, they also, I mean, it, it became the most popular download within hours on the App Store. It, you know, clearly people had been clamoring for it. Yeah. And and that um, uh, also, I, I might have I might have missed this one on my timeline, but but in December um, of 2012, Google Maps hit one billion monthly active users. That's a lot of people it's, trying to find their way to the. Same restaurants I'm going to. That's why I can never get in. I just need to be a little more famous, people. Just a little more famous. I'm not quite famous enough to get a good table at a restaurant. Yeah. So if you guys could help me with that, that'd be awesome. If you can clout me up in good table and restaurant, (laughs) I would really appreciate it. I don't know that that's going to help, but, you know, it can't hurt. I, you, you can can bring in your phone and just say, like, I have clout. (laughs) Look at me. Look how important I am. Yeah, yeah. McDonald's does not take that seriously. <laughs> no, do do what you can, listeners. Keep us keep us well fed. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we wanted to kind of conclude this episode talking about what is in store for Google Maps. What's the future like? 
you know, what what is Google working toward to make Google Maps even more interesting and yet potentially worrisome? <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> Again, what was our what was our catchphrase from earlier? I have zero. I'm I'm like oh, a goldfish. I don't know. It's reassuring and yet terrifying. <laughs> yes. Something like that. Reassuring and yet terrifying. I don't have my business card, so I can't tell you for sure. <laughs> um, according to uh, to uh, Michael Jones, who is one of the employees at Google, the uh, chief technology advocate, okay. I think uh, is, his, is his title. It's a great I, title. It is a great title. Uh, Google names things so well, I'm jealous of their entire marketing department. Yeah. But um, uh, his, his vision of the future, um, he was just talking about the other day in an interview, is that uh, Google really wants to provide individualized information on the go mm-hmm. which means that as you're as you're walking down a street with your Google Maps app open it might start telling you like oh hey a scene from your favorite movie was filmed in that lot over there maybe you want to go check that out or oh hey you really like Vietnamese food and the highest rated Vietnamese restaurant within a 500 mile radius is right over there on the other side of the block so you might want to go check that that out that's pretty cool i mean but the idea here is that Google is not just using your previous use of Google Maps to determine this. They're using everything like your actual search history. Your search history, your Google Plus account, all of that integrated yeah. information that starts getting just a little bit stalkery. Yeah, and, and you wonder to what extent could this go to? And uh, I made some very goofy, uh, ridiculous examples to Lauren before <laughs> the show, which I'm not going to repeat because really it's just... They got silly, but the point being that if if you like, let's say that you have a job and you you've logged into a job uh, version of your Gmail, um, and your job is with a CDC. Sure. So you might do a lot of different searches on very specific types of uh, health problems. Sure. What would Google Maps think of that? Like, where would <laughs> Google Maps like? Do you want to go to the free clinic? I mean, it's be, it's you know, it just it raises questions now. And and then from a from a broader perspective, let's say that you're using your own personal Google account, and you uh, do a lot of you know bizarre searches. Uh, it kind of makes you wonder, like, how much of this inf- it gets personalized? It's supposed to be anonymous, so Google's not supposed to actually know that. You, it, that this is tied to you personally. Again, it's 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 the royal you. It's yeah. the it's it's not you, Jane Smith. It's, right. It's 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 the person who does these searches and goes to these places would like these things. Right. And it's hard for us to kind of reconcile that in our heads and divorce that from who we are personally. Right. So it it starts to feel like Google not only knows where we go and what we do, but it's telling us what to do now and we need to follow those instructions carefully. Um, It is a little weird. Now, this being said, uh, I I personally think that it's kind of an interesting thing and I'm I'm more – I'm open-minded enough to say, bring it on. I want to see how this works out. And I want to see like the kind of suggestions Google comes up with. Absolutely. And uh, I've been using Field Trip, which is a, a Google app. Uh, I talked about it with Chris in a previous episode a few episodes ago, where it's it's a location-based service that looks at where you are based upon, you know, occasionally it's pinging your, your device to see where you are based upon your uh, either cellular triangulation or GPS or whatever. Right. And then it says, let's take a quick look in this area and see if there's anything in the area that would interest him. And you kind of, or her, and you, you, you kind of let the app know what you are, what your interests are. Uh-huh. Okay, so it's not... It's uh, not broad, broad categories. I yeah. want sports or I don't want restaurants. Right. Mine or, is always, I want food. 
<laughs> is always uh, food and history. Those are the two that I will always pick. And so I get a lot of stuff like best beignets in Atlanta, which honestly not a lot of competition there. But um, uh, and uh, and and anyway, uh, it's a parish, by the way. Anyway, the uh, P A R I S H free plug. No. <laughs> uh, the any anyway the the app does this by. Uh, by checking its database and, and referencing against your physical location and occasionally giving you stuff. And you can even tell it how frequently you want updates. Right, how often. I want them all the bloody time. Versus, uh, yeah. Yeah. Or do or only when I open the app or sometime in between. I've got it in the in right. between because I don't want to get I don't want my phone vibrating every five seconds thinking I've got a message and it turns out it's hey, there's a place that sells burgers. <laughs> You like food, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't need it quite that frequently. Uh-huh. But that that's kind of an example of what Google Maps could incorporate in the future. But in the case of Google Maps, it would be even more personal. So it would be based, like, if, if it noticed that I had done a lot of searches for, like, Indian food. I love Indian food. Mm-hmm. And there are only a few restaurants uh, that I know of that serve really good, authentic Indian food that are near me. Right. But I know there are a lot more that are further out of, of my neighborhood. Sure. So I've done a lot of searches. Well, in the future, Google Maps will be taking uh, – will, will notice that kind of stuff. It will cross-reference with my search history. And let's say I go to some other city like, I don't know, London. Mm-hmm. And it says, hey, you like Indian food? Let me tell you where to go. We've got, we've got a thing for you. Yeah. You, you want some kebabs? We can give you kebabs. <laughs> or if you want real Indian food, if you want, if you want uh, the various curries or vindaloos, I'm a vindaloo fiend, <laughs> then um, – yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, it's interesting, but there is still this lingering fear that perhaps this information is somehow being tied to us as our identities and that yeah. it could... That it could be stored or used against us in yeah. some way. Or or even, even just uh, some people get a little bit creeped out. I get a little bit creeped out that I'm being advertised to so specifically sometimes. Yeah. I mean, when, it's, when that's useful, it's terrific. But very occasionally, I just get this ping in the back of my head that's like, why does it know that about me? It makes me think that in the future, we're all going to only see the stuff that we are truly interested in and not see all the other stuff that we're not interested in. And I'm okay with that because uh, occasionally I, I flip through something like Reddit or I'm randomly changing channels and I think I could have lived I a happy live- life without ever knowing that that was a thing. And if I have my life, I where I mean, granted, it I also means that you're. It also means you, you're less adventurous and all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the process of discovery is really terrific. And also, I mean, will, will it will it deauthenticate the process of discovery? Will you never again have the terrific feeling of walking down a street and going, "Hey, that hole in a wall looks terrific," and walking in and having one of the best meals of your life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of questions here. Maybe maybe Google will build that into the algorithm, where occasionally it'll just say, like, <laughs> you know, Lauren never comes out of her shell, and just down the street. Is a uh, a tap dancing and jazz dancing uh, uh, school. We're going to convince her to go in there and take classes, and then she's going to have a recital, and everyone's going to go. It's not a recital, is it? Whatever, I, whatever I, the dance equivalent is. I have absolutely no clue. Anyway, well, see, that's I that's think, why it would think, pop up for you, <laughs> because it would say, like, you know what, Lauren needs. She needs to get out more. She needs to needs to to shed this shy exterior. And, and just let her inner choreographer shine. That <laughs> I think I think that if Google could talk, that is in fact what it would say about yeah. me. I'm pretty sure Google would never stop slapping me. <laughs> just grow up, grow up, Strickland. 
pretty much what I would get all the time. That's that's what if if it weren't for uh for uh employee handbook laws here at How Stuff Works, I'm sure that would happen in the office. I've, been, I've, been, I've been slapped here. It's fine. It's happened. Josh Josh alternately praises me and hits me. It's it's nice. <laughs> I, All right. I, I kid. I kid. No. I kid our stuff you should know fans. They are great people. They are. And that wraps up this classic episode about Google Maps. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, you can send me a message. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. And you can go to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. You can search the archive of every episode ever published. You can find a link to our online store where you can purchase Tech Stuff merch. Every purchase you make goes to help the show. We greatly appreciate it. And I will talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.